It is Wednesday, my dudes. Commanding you to bow down. I'm on your side. By branding you as a rebel. But you're not. A traitor. This isn't freedom. This is fear. Not the government. The government is not us. This is the O Files. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Dino Files. This is episode number 108. Coming at you live on the 12th of August from Mega City 3 on Alternative Internet Radio, AIRAD.io slash live. Man, it's been a few days. I went out of town uh, rather quickly, so I didn't get to do last week's episode. Uh, I do plan on recording another uh, chapter of the book that should be coming out soon. I have a plan for that moving forward. All the news, man. All the fucking news. It's it's another one of those single-story news cycles. And you can tell, if you go to Real Real Clear Politics right now, everything is about Kamala Harris. Uh, the Biden campaign picked Kamala Harris as their VP, which kind of everyone saw coming. Uh, Justin Robert Young especially has been harping on that for a while now. Um, it's no surprise. It provides adequate cover for Joe Biden, uh, being not only an old white guy, but also being one of the instrumental uh, legislators who pushed through the 94 crime bill, which has been responsible for the... Uh, Imprisoning and over-policing of, uh, all communities, really, but especially black communities. So, uh, he's, uh, adi- he's got adequate cover for that now, I guess. Because, you know, black woman. Uh, he doesn't have to worry about that too much, I wouldn't think. And the media is not gonna make her respond to that. So let's get the only Kamala Harris story I'm going to cover out of the way. This isn't really a story, but it's a rundown. You guys... Uh, remember how terrible Kamala Harris is. Uh, once again, Kamala Harris's record is as a prosecutor was less than progressive. This from Reason, published on the 12th. Joe Biden announced Senator Kamala Harris will be his nominee for vice president, so it appears we are once again litigating Harris's record as a prosecutor. Harris's law enforcement career, uh, career, I'm sorry, first as a first line prosecutor, then San Francisco district attorney, and finally California attorney general, became a sore spot for her in the Democratic primary. The party had moved left on criminal justice, which took the sheen off her law enforcement bona fides. In response to that shift, Harris has attempted to paint herself as a progressive prosecutor. Nevertheless, the pejorative refrain from the left flank of the Democratic Party has been Kamala is a cop. In the wake of Biden's announcement, Democrats and pundits are now trying to help her buff out the rough spots. Uh, From at the Democrats, this is the official uh, account of the Democratic Party on Twitter. At Kamala Harris has spent her career advocating for innovation reform in the criminal justice system <laughs> and fought for families by taking on big banks and for-profit colleges. Uh, one day, on day one, 
She's ready to make the federal government work for the American people. Yeah, okay. Sure. Sure she is. Um, in a piece headline, Kamala Harris did what she had to do. The Atlantic's Peter Beinhart wrote that Harris's deference to police and prosecutors was necessary for her political survival, which is not exactly a sterling endorsement of Harris, law enforcement, or politics. <laughs> More convincingly, former San Francisco public defender Nikki Sillis writes in the USA Today that Harris was indeed a progressive district attorney, citing Harris's practice of not charging low-level marijuana cases, her creation of a, of a diversion program for juvenile offenders, and her refusal to pursue the death penalty even in the case of a murdered police officer. Uh, it's true that Harris pursued diversion programs and other progressive issues as uh, the San Francisco DA... It's also true that the San Francisco DA is probably the most progressive in the state as a general rule. Harris actually ran as a law and order candidate in 2003 against the incumbent uh, lefty DA. Silas didn't ma mention what happened after that death penalty case, though. The backlash nearly cost Harris her shot at becoming the California Attorney General in 2011 after police unions didn't endorse her. After Harris squeaked into office by one percentage point, she tacked toward the center and never lost the police unions again. As Attorney General, she defended the California death penalty and opposed efforts to increase oversight of fatal police shootings. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Kamala's a cop. <laughs> so while, uh, while everyone's freaking out about what, what to do about Kamala Harris, the right unsure of how to attack her, uh, and the left um, defending her to the death, I guess, uh, just remember... Kamala's a cop. And it doesn't matter what anyone says, Kamala's a cop. On that news, though, we have polls, general election polls. This is from Real Clear Politics. Uh, Rasmussen poll puts Biden plus six. That's Biden 49, Trump 43. Economist and YouGov poll, Biden 49, Trump 39. That's Biden plus 10. And a CNBC change research poll, Biden 50, Trump 44. That's Biden plus six. Interestingly, in North Carolina, a CNBC poll places Trump 48, Biden 47, that's Trump plus one, which is very strange to see, uh, for me anyway. Uh, but uh, as, as has been the case every week, Biden isn't leading by double digits in most of the uh, states that matter. Um, he's, he's got, you know, what do we have? Pennsylvania plus four, Wisconsin plus five, North Carolina plus four. You're getting down into, again, as, as every week, you're getting down into, uh, into margin of error, uh, territory there. Yeah, that'll be interesting. It'll be an interesting one. It'll also, it'll especially be interesting because neither the RNC nor the DNC is actually gonna, it seems like have, I mean, the DN, the, okay. The, the Democratic National Convention is going to be so strange. Because it's going to be this weird, streaming, dumb thing. Justin Robert Young's going to do some good coverage of it, I think. I'd like to watch his Twitch, his Twitch stream of it. It's going to be so odd. Um, and dumb. And weird and odd and dumb. I'm just... Uh, it's a weird election. It's a boring election, too. Like, this should be a really exciting election year. And I find myself just bored by everything. Um, let's move on. We have a few stories here from the FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Education, thefire.org. Published on the 12th, my alma mater, North Texas. Nonprofit group asked the University of North Texas to turn over, quote, biased student newspapers records. In the wake of calls for a Texas university to disband a conservative student organization, a move that would violate the First Amendment, a nonprofit group is attempting to use the state's open records law to force a student newspaper that reported on the controversy to turn over its notes. The university has rejected that request. Fire and the Student Press Law Center have written to the state attorney general in support of the, university, of the university's position 
In July, students at the University of North Texas complained to administrators about a conservative student organization, the Young Conservative Texas, which led the university's uh, president to suggest on Twitter that it might take action. Um, uh, the complaints... Uh, uh, ooh, wow. The complaints culminated in a petition asserting that YCT had, quote, shown a pattern of racism, transphobia, and homophobia through its Twitter account and a, quote, bake sale, a performative protest critical of affirmative action that was once a mainstay of conservative student groups. The petition called for YCT to be, quote, be removed from UNT as an officially registered organization and urged the university to implement a, quote, three-strike policy of some sort. As Fire has explained ad nauseum, student organizations at public universities cannot be punished for speech that, however offensive someone may find it, is protected by the First Amendment. And as my colleague Joe Cohn explained in the interview with the Texan, uh, taking action against YCT would also violate Texas state law. To our knowledge, university hasn't followed through on its president's suggestion that he was looking into taking action. There's no indication that it will take up the three-strike proposal, yet threats at the University of Stu uh, Two Students' First Amendment rights persist. After UNT student newspaper, the North Texas Daily wrote about the controversy, Empower Texans, a conservative nonprofit organization that publishes TexasScorecard.com, repeatedly criticized the article as biased because it did not, quote, mention the threats of violence leveled at YCT or its chairwoman. And the article frames the extreme left coalition as the victims. Empower Texans also issued a request under Texas Public Information Act requesting the University of North Texas produce records held by the Daily and the reporter who penned the newspaper's coverage of the controversy. The university refused, and as Texas public records law allows, asked the Office of the Attorney General of Texas to bless the university's position that the records are confidential. This, in addition to the university's denial of a related request, spurred criticism from Empower Texans in an article entitled, quote, Is UNT Covering Up Plans for Conservatives on Campus? Today, FIRE and the Student Press Law Center filed a public comment with the Office of the Attorney General of Texas explaining that the request, if granted, would infringe the rights of North Texas Daily under the First Amendment, uh, Texas State's Constitution, and the Texas Statute, blah, 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 blah. So this is interesting. I, I find this to be, it's fucking hilarious to me. There was another story, actually, very recently. Out of I was wondering we were, when we were going to get a run of stories out of UNT. We generally get one or two a year. But frankly, this campus uh, tilts so much toward sort of the, uh, the, the uh, intersectional left, we'll say, um, that I'm, I'm shocked we haven't had more. I am going to look at... There was another one. I think it might have been on page two. Here we go. <laughs> University of North Texas investigates music theory journal for defending 19th century composer from racism charges. Today, the Foundation for Rights and Education is defending a uh, Shankarian music theory journal at the University of North Texas and its editors from an unwarranted investigation into alleged racism. Uh, quote, this just goes to show that no area of academia, however obscure, is immune to those who demand the opposing viewpoints be silenced, said Fire Executive Director Robert Shibley. UNT's Journal of Shinkarian Studies is under investigation following calls from around the country for it to be shuttered uh, and for one of the advisors, UNT music theory professor Timothy Jackson, to be fired. The journal Sin, following criticism by scholar Philip Ewell that 19th century music theorist Heinrich Schenker, uh, whose influence on music theory is, quote, hard to overstate, was an, quote, ardent racist and German nationalist. The journal presented an addition including debate among scholars on racial issues and music theory. The issue led a group of graduate students to write to UNT College of Music Dean John Richmond on July 29th, expressing concerns about the journal, and in particular, Jackson's involvement in the issue. 
The students called for the journal to be dissolved. Jackson investigated it, potentially fired from his teaching position. An anonymous contributor to be unmasked in the issue to be publicly condemned by the university. Oh, God. My alma mater. You're making me fucking proud. You fucking fools. Published on the 10th. Federal court denies New York's effort to block new Title IX regulations. Sorry, I'm trying to get through these a little quick. We have a lot of them. I missed a week, so things are backed up. Uh, an effort from the New York State Attorney General's Office to prevent college students from receiving new protections for free speech and due process in Title IX proceedings has run aground in federal court. On Sunday, District Judge John Kudl issued an order denying a motion by the state, joined by the New York City uh, New York City School Board for a preliminary injunction that would prevent new Title IX regulations from the U.S. Department of Education from taking effect as scheduled on Friday. The Foundation for the Rights of Education filed a friend of the court brief uh, you can you can say amicus brief uh, in the case urging this result on July 17th. In this ruling, Kololo wrote that the state of New York, quote, failed to show that they will likely prevail on their argument that the DOE acted, quote, arbitrarily and capriciously or otherwise in violation of law when it promulgated the rule, end quote, and that they are unlikely to, to succeed on the merits of their claims. He denied their motion for a preliminary injunction that would prevent the rule from taking effect as well as their request that the effective date of the rule be stayed. Um, Jake, it's been a while, uh, Jake in the chat, it's been a while since you summed up Title IX, comes up so often, is that an Obama deal? Ooh, uh, actually, it's, 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 it's long before Obama, actually, Title IX, I will pull up something on it, I actually should just do an episode about Title IX, but I will pull up something, uh, that sort of explains, I'll just pull up the wiki and, and read that, because it's gonna... It's going to summarize it better than I can, but I'll do an episode on Title IX because it does come up a lot, especially since the Department of Education has recently made changes to it. Um, Title IX is a... Well, let's just look at it. Title IX is a federal civil rights law in the United States of America that was passed as part of the Education Amendments of 1972. This is public law number blah, 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 codified at 20 U.S. Code uh, subsection... 20 U.S. Code Section 1681 through 1688, uh, which you can pull that up, actually. If you just Google 20 U.S.C. 1681, um, you can pull that up. It'll probably come up on the Cornell site. It was co-authored and introduced by Senator Birch Bay at the, in the U.S. Senate and Congresswoman Patsy Mink in the House. It was later renamed the Patsy T. Mink Equal Opportunity and Education Act following Mink's death in 2002. Um... So there are, there are, <clears throat> it's difficult to really wrap it. Title IX is such a blanket law. It covers sexual harassment, sexual violence. It covers uh, e uh, equity in athletics. So like the reason that there is for every male sports team, there's a female sports team in the schools. This is because of Title IX. Um, it's a, it's, it's pretty complex. It's a pretty complex thing, which again is why I should do a whole episode on it. Uh, it's also got, like, a shitload of case law behind it as well. There's a shitload of case law behind it. There's other legislation behind it that affects it and, and play, play, play off of it. It's, it's not simple. So, I'm, I really should do an episode about Title IX on its own. Now I'm thinking about how I would do that, because it's not simple. Actually, if I organized it, tell me what you guys think about this in the Discord. Um, if I do a Title IX episode, uh, I think I should probably do it, uh, chronologically. 
Because you have certain, in, in the lifespan of Title IX, you've had some very interesting things happen. You have the Dear Colleague letter, which happened under the Obama years. You have uh, the most recent changes to Title IX. There's a shitload of stuff. Uh, 1988, the, uh, the Civil Rights Restoration Act of 1988 happened. Um, man, I, I, I should do a Title IX episode. I'll, I'll put together, what I'll do is I'll do a Title IX, uh, Title IX timeline. You guys tell me what you think about this in the Discord. Tell me if you think there's a better way to organize this. But I think this is probably the way to do it. Doing it as a timeline. Hmm. It, but it's, it's such a broad... Saying Title IX is more like referring to a body of law than just a single thing. It's such a, it's such a broad sort of uh, category of legal standards and, and, and statutes. I need, to, uh, I need to put something together on that. It'll take me a little bit. But thank you for asking that. Because since the DOE has recently changed it and it's supposed to go into effect, uh, I, I, I guess I should probably do an episode about it. So I'll start doing research on that and put that together. Um, thank you for asking that, Jake. And then uh, Fire also has another piece here uh, that, that sort of digs into the opinion a little bit more that I'm not going to read from because uh, it's... it's uh, well, it just it's it gets a little into the weeds from for what I want to cover here, but it is interesting. If you're interested in that opinion, uh, denying that uh, injunction, you can check it out there. We have another story from Reason, published on the tenth. <laughs> Headline: Without much more aggressive shutdowns, the New York Times warns COVID nineteen could kill well over a million Americans. Okay, without, quote, much more aggressive shutdowns, the New York Times editorial warns, quote, well over a million Americans, quote, may may ultimately die from COVID-19. The paper does not cite a source for that estimate, which seems highly implausible based on the death toll so far, projections for the next few months, the gap between total infections and confirmed cases, and a crude case fatality rate that continues to fall. Independent data scientist uh, Yu Yang Gu, who has a, tra- a good track record of predicting COVID-19 fatalities, is currently projecting about 231,000 deaths in the United States by November 1. The University of Washington Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation projects 295,000 deaths by December 1. Assuming those projections prove to be about right, the Times is predicting that the death toll will quadruple during the months before an effective vaccine can be deployed, which might happen early next year. If we have a vaccine by April, for instance, the Times projection would require that deaths rise at a, at a monthly rate of about 40% December, January, February, and March. By comparison, according to Goose figures, the death toll rose by about 19% in June and 21% in July. His projections indicate increases of about 21% this month, 13% next month, and 9% in October. The expected tapering of the upward trend in total deaths may seem surprising in light of the summer surge in confirmed cases, but according to World Meters Tally, which is based on numbers from local and state health departments, the nationwide seven-day average of daily new cases after a rising above 69,000 on July 25th had fallen to less than 55,000 as of yesterday. And even as daily new cases rose dramatically in June and July, the nationwide crude uh, case fatality rate reported deaths as a share of known cases continued to fall. The current rate, 3.2%, is about half the rate on May 15th. Uh, There are several plausible explanations for that downward trend, including expanded testing, better treatments, and a younger, healthier mix of patients. But the decline in the fatality rate makes the death toll predicted by the Times look even less likely. So the Times is scaremongering, because of course they are, asking for stricter lockdowns as more people do this and ignore the obvious 
Um, detrimental economic and social effects of the lockdowns. I, I, I covered a story on the last episode, I believe, from, uh, from, was it from Fee, about how everything, basically, that we consider to be a social ill is increasing because of the lockdowns. Um, suicides, domestic violence, uh, drug addiction and overdose, things of this nature. Ignoring that and then giving a, an obviously fake number, uh, the, the New York Times warns COVID-19 could kill well over a million. Well over a million? Over a million. Bullshit. Bullshit. Um, this is a, uh, <laughs> this is scaremongering. That's what it is. And for me, the more people do this, which is the sentence that I started earlier and then distracted myself, the more people do this, the more I am convinced that it's entirely political. And I don't mean political in the sense that a lot of people mean political where, wherein it's like tied with politics. I mean, it is exclusively about the election. Um, I have a hard time, as, as this happens more and more, more people begging for more aggressive and stricter lockdowns. As this continues to increase, I am more and more convinced that people understand those negative consequences and want the Trump presidency to end as a result of them and by this i mean i am convinced i shouldn't say convinced because it still feel it still feels just too calculating it feels too cold it feels too inhumane and to to try and destroy an account to destroy lives in order to win an election it it, it feels it feels like the kind of thing government would do. It feels like the kind of thing the media would do, which is why it's so difficult for me to believe it's true. Um, because it's evil. And I'm... I don't know. The more this happens, though, the more convinced I am that that's just the case. That they want people to die. They want people to starve. They want people to be, uh, be in situations they wouldn't ordinarily be in. They want people to be attempting suicide in greater numbers. They want as much destruction as possible so that Trump loses. I don't want to believe that's true, but the more this happens, the more people call for this, the more I'm convinced that it is. Jake in the chat says, yes, I'm, uh, this is a power play. The numbers are insane. Look, I agree. I mean, look, all the numbers are insane. That's the issue. All of the numbers are insane. The, the claimed fatalities, the, 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 which honestly, look, the, the fatality thing is, is interesting because we know that they were overcounted in some places and undercounted in others. They were vastly overcounted in in uh, in places where you could make more money the more cases you had or the more deaths you had, and they were undercounted in places where they weren't really testing people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So let's just assume let's just assume that comes out in the wash. Let's just assume that comes out in the wash. What the data does tell us is that more people have had this thing than we know. Uh, Jake, the numbers coming from Europe make no sense. Almost no death, but skyrocketing cases. The UK just eliminated almost 6k deaths from the last several months. Actually, that does make sense to me, Jake, and I'll tell you why. If you're, if you're testing uh, at a greater rate, you're gonna find more of those cases because this thing is not nearly as deadly as we've been led to believe. It's not nearly as severe, I don't think, as we've been led to believe. The, that, that's actually supported by the, what, what you said is happening in Europe. No deaths, but skyrocketing cases. That's, um, 
that's supported by some of the studies that have been done looking for antibodies and finding that people had this thing and just had no idea. Some of these studies say it's anywhere from 10 to 40% more people. Uh, I'm sorry, not, not percent, a, a factor of those. So like 10 times more people have had this thing than we thought, um, according to some of these studies. So yeah, if you start testing a shitload, you're going to find more people that have it and they don't even know. Um, Ultimately, by the time this thing, by the time we actually have reliable numbers, if ever, on this thing, I, uh, most people will have had it. Most people will have had it. And, and probably will have had it without even knowing that they had it. So it, it, if that's what's happening in Europe, I think, it, I think it proves the point. I think it goes to show that everybody's already had this thing or is gonna have it. And most people won't even notice it. Um... Because as you start testing people, people who are less symptomatic or just barely symptomatic, you know, there are a lot of people who said, oh, I just felt like I had allergies, like it wasn't a big deal. Um, the more you test people, the, the more cases you're going to find, because this thing's very common, but not particularly severe on the whole. Um, the populations that you have to worry about with regard to this thing are the people who are, you know, uh, you know. What, we've, what people have been saying about every disease forever, which is compromised immune systems, pre-existing conditions, things of this nature, the elderly, stuff like that. Those people can be killed by a flu. Those people can be killed by not particularly serious diseases. And this falls into that. I think it's very similar. So um, not, I'm not saying COVID's a flu, by the way. It's, it's not. It's not even the same kind of virus. What I'm saying is the same populations that are, that tend to be vulnerable in the case of like the flu, uh, diseases like the flu, the same populations that are vulnerable in those cases are vulnerable in this case. But, you know, most 20-year-olds aren't going to feel a thing. Um, and so this just reads like scaremongering to me. And asking for harsher shutdowns with, with all the numbers that we've got now about, there were a year's worth of suicides attempts, uh, suicide attempts in a single fucking month. I'm, <sighs> how can you hear that and say, we need more of those lockdowns? I don't care how many bodies we got to step over. We got to make sure that this COVID thing is taken care of. Well, the COVID thing, we don't have anything on the COVID. We don't have any data on the COVID. We don't have anything reliable. Every time we find new numbers on it, the numbers say way more people had it than we thought. And most of them are fine. So I don't know. I don't see how you can do it. It's a, which is, again, I don't see the logic in it, which makes me think it must not be logical or it must be logical in another way. The only other way that it's logical is if you're wanting to destroy the economy, if you're wanting to destroy the, the, uh, the confidence that people have in not just the Trump administration, but things as they are. If you want to destroy people's confidence, you, yeah, you do things like the lockdown. You, get it, you, get, you, you cause an increase in everything we consider to be a social ill, and then you blame it on Trump. That's the only way it's logical is if that's your goal. That, or it's entirely illogical. And in that case, why are you writing, New York Times? <laughs> um, a similar piece published by the uh, Foundation for, for Economic Education, FEE, FEE.org. Uh, John Ioannidis, this is a hard name, Ioannidis, Ioannidis, the, um, warned COVID-19 could be a once-in-a-century data fiasco. He was right. This was published on the 23rd of July. 
On Thursday, a Florida health official told a local news station that a young man who was listed as a COVID-19 victim had no underlying conditions. The answer surprised reporters who probed for additional information. Quote, he died in a motorcycle accident, Dr. Paul Pino clarified. You could actually argue that it could have been a COVID-19 that caused him to crash. I don't know the conclusion of that one. The anecdote's a ridiculous example of a real controversy that has inspired some colorful memes. And what should define, uh, I'm sorry, what should define a COVID-19 death? While the question's important, such incidents may be just the tip of the proverbial iceberg regarding the unreliability of COVID-19 data. In May, a public radio station in Miami broke what soon became a national story. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention had been conflating antibody and viral testing, obscuring key metrics lawmakers used to determine if they should reopen their prospective economies. The story was soon picked up by NPR, who spoke to an epidemiologist who condemned the practice, quote, Reporting both serology and viral tests under the same category is not appropriate, as these two types of tests are different and tell us different things, Dr. Jennifer Nuzzo of the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security told NPR. The Atlantic soon followed with an article that explained the agency was painting an inaccurate picture of the state of the pandemic. The practice, the writer said, was making it difficult to tell if more people were actually sick or had merely acquired antibodies from, firing, from fighting off the virus. Public health experts were not impressed. Quote, how could the CDC make this mistake? This is a mess said Ashish uh, Jha, the KT uh, Lee Professor of Global Health at Harvard and Director of the Harvard Global Health Institute. In some ways, the quote mess was no surprise. Two weeks earlier, Dr. Deborah Lee Burks, the White House Coronavirus Task Force Response Coordinator, reportedly ripped the agency in a meeting saying, quote, there's nothing from the CDC that I can trust. Now you feel like the rest of us. Burks' concerns that the CDC's data did not alleviate concerns of data manipulation. Uh, I'm sorry. Burst concerns about the CDC's data did not alleviate concerns of data manipulation. The New York Times speculated that perhaps the agency had sought to, quote, bolster the testing numbers for political purposes. The Texas Observer wondered if the state was, quote, inflating its COVID testing numbers by including antibody tests. Uh, let's go ahead and skip down a little bit. It's hard to read the drama, incompetence, and confusion without thinking about Dr. John Eonidas. Uh, I'm going to assume that's how it's pronounced. The CF Renborg Chair in Disease Prevention at Stanford University. In a March 17th STAT article, Ioannidis uh, warned that the world was looking at what could turn out to be a, quote, once-in-a-century evidence fiasco. He worried central planners were making sweeping and reflexive changes without sufficient data. Locking people up without knowing the fatality risk of COVID-19 could have severe social and financial consequences. That could be totally irrational, Ioannidis warned. Quote, it's like an elephant being attacked by a house cat. Frustrated and trying to avoid the cat, the elephant accidentally jumps off a cliff and dies, said Ioannidis. One of the most cited scientists in the world. Uh, oh, crap, I clicked away. In one sense, Ioannidis has already been proven right. The models on which lockdowns were initiated have already proven astronomically wrong, but that was hardly the only example, etc., etc., etc. There's more to this. Uh, so, yeah, essentially, going back to what we were speaking about earlier, the evidence is garbage. There's very little reliable data about this, and locking down everything in order to... Uh, <laughs> locking down everything in order to fight this was never the right move uh, I think will be the way that we look back on this from the EFF published on the 6th note to blockchain credentials of COVID-19 test results for entry to public spaces an ill-conceived California bill endorses a blockchain-based system that would turn COVID-19 test results into permanent records that could be used to grant access to public spaces EFF and ACLU oppose California AB 2004. The newest version of this bill would create a pilot program for using, quote, verifiable health credentials to report COVID-19 and other medical test results. 
The bill defines such a credential as, quote, a portable electronic patient record for which authenticity, quote, can be independently verified cryptographically. The bill's fact sheet explains that these credentials, quote, use blockchain, uh, blockchain technology to create, quote, a provable health record for purpose of, quote, travel, returning to employment, immunization status, and so on. Three rounds of official bill analysis provide the same explanation. It's a huge privacy concern. No one should have to unlock their phone and expose their health information in order to gain entry to their office, school, or neighborhood market. Medical test results are a poor fit for public ledgers. First, per the recommendations of California's blockchain working group, quote, uh, the most critical question when considering adopting blockchain technology is whether, quote, a permanent record is warranted. Here it is clearly not. A person's COVID-19 status may change from day to day and tests are often hard to come by. This system could unfairly punish those who can't afford to be tested nearly constantly. Second, while verifiable credentials might make sense for reporting a binary fact, such as whether or not a person is 21, medical tests come with strong caveats and significant margins of error. For example, some COVID-19 diagnostic tests have a false negative rate as high as 20 or 30%. The science behind testing for COVID-19 immunity is is even less settled. According to the CDC, quote, we do not know how much protection COVID-19 antibodies may provide or how long this protection may last. This nuance is lost when a test result is turned into a credential. In short, this bill is a blockchain solution in search of a problem, and COVID-19 is a problem uh, that will not be so easily solved. I'm going to stop there. This is a backdoor for permanent record on the blockchain that has all your data on it. It shouldn't be complex or difficult. This is a... Uh, I mean, look, it's, it's the next paragraph. Worse, the bill would take us a troubling step toward a national identification system. It would habituate people to, pretense, to present a digital token as a condition of entry into physical spaces and habituate gatekeepers to demand such digital tokens. Um, yeah, it's, fu- it's fucking stupid. It's really bad. It's a really bad idea, and it's a bad idea to get people used to that kind of thing because of what might come down the road. Um, goodness gracious. Let's, uh, I said, I think it's time. <laughs> Brothers will do fun. It's time for Who Do You Trust? Hubba, hubba, hubba. Money, money, money. Who do you trust? Who do you trust? I'll tell you who I trust. I trust Superior, executive producer Tixiercy and Sayu77. I trust executive producer Childerberg, producers Max Ogburn, Absurdist Fool, and Whoa Dude. If you would like to join them, you can do so at, at uh, Alternative Internet Radio, ARAD.io, or the Rogue File, roguefile.com. Uh, from the, the, the show's page, there's a donation link on Alternative Internet Radio and uh, also a donation link on roguefile.com. Um, there's also a store. There's crypto. There are various, various methods of support. If you would not like to do any of that, uh, you can still help out, and I would love to have your assistance. You can uh, tell a friend, download the show, uh, join the Discord, talk to me on Twitter, do any of those things. Become a part of the community is what I'm saying. Um, and you can do that for absolutely free, and it is an incredibly valuable way for you to uh, to support the show. So thank you so much for being there. Superior Executive Producers Exerci, Saw You 77, Executive Producer Childerberg, Producers Max Ogburn, Absurdist Fool, and Whoa Dude. Um, oh, I have a couple of people who showed that they were canceled by the system on Subscribestar. Uh, you might want to check your... Uh, you might want to check your subscribe star status. If it said you manually canceled it, I wouldn't say anything. But it said it was canceled by the system, um, which leads me to believe that you didn't do it and it kicked you. So you might double check your status on subscribe star if you are a subscriber. Um, I'm still saying everybody's name here because uh, I didn't do an episode last week. But uh, double check your subscribe star status. 
Superior, executive producer of Seriously and Sayu 77, executive producer Childerberg, producers Max Ogburn of Certus Fool, and whoa, dude, thank you all so much for being there. You are all diamonds in the rough, wolves amongst ravens, gods amongst men, beautiful bright spots of light in this dark and dingy and terrible place that we all call the internet. Speaking of the internet being a dark and dingy and terrible place, a Twitter user, I'm, I'm, I'm debating whether or not to use this person's name. I'm going to link to it in the show notes either way. This, this, this found its way to my, uh, to my timeline and, and it, it, it sparked a bit of conversation. Um, and I was shocked to see that there were actually two sides of this conversation. So I, I wanted to bring it up here and use it to illustrate a, a larger issue. Um, Women in their 20s, this is the tweet, women in their 20s lack the ability to consent to sexual activity with men in their 30s. It can't be genuinely consensual because men in their 30s and especially their 40s have all the power. It is therefore a highly dubious, almost pedophilic relationship. Women in their 20s cannot consent to sex with men in their 30s and especially 40s because of a perceived power imbalance between, what, two individuals that just exist in the world together? I'm, I want to take this to its logical conclusion. I'm just going to cut the shit and get all the way to where we're actually headed. Women are too fucking stupid to consent to sex. There you go. That's where this leads. That is the end result of this line of thinking. Women are too goddamn stupid to consent to sex. Always. Always. There's no such thing as consensual sex because women are too fucking stupid to consent to anything. That's where this line of thought goes. That's where this line of thought leads. People are continually, and I, I, I say this in this way because people agreed with this statement. I mean, there were a number of people trying to ratio her and all this other stuff, but there were people agreeing with this. I find it to be um, ridiculous that we keep adding caveats to this idea that whatever consenting adults want to do, they get to fucking do with one another. I don't care. It's not my business. You're an adult. You're consenting. And so, not my business. Not my fucking business. We keep adding caveats to this idea that lead us to believe, and we keep doing it, by the way, in this manner, in a manner which infantilizes women. And we're doing it I say we, these people, these idiots, are doing it under the guise of feminism. But what I find, what I find fascinating about this is that this particular brand of feminism, um, and I say under the guise of feminism because this is not uh, what Simone de Beauvoir wrote about. This isn't what, uh, what, uh, um, what Volstonecraft wrote about. This isn't what any of the feminist scholars that I've read wrote about none of them, none of the arguments in feminism in any time period that I'm aware of, except for today have basically uh, been, well, women are too stupid though for that. Women are too stupid to be responsible for that. Women are too stupid to be held to account for that. This is the only period in feminist history that I'm aware of in which that's been the argument. And of course they turn it into a power dynamic thing, but that's not, that's nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. Power how? Do, 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 do men in their 30s and 40s have all the money? 
I mean, they, they tend to have more money than younger men, but that's not true across the board in the slightest, especially now. Especially now. Do they have... What, what, what kind of power do they have? Are they physically stronger than women? I mean, yeah, but is that what we're basing this on? Because I don't think that's what you're saying. What kind of power? The only power that they could possibly have would be that they are capable of tricking or forcing otherwise 20-year-old women to have sex with them just because they are 20. There's nothing here that identifies women in their 20s by anything other than being women in their 20s. So the argument must then be women in their 20s are fucking stupid. But we keep adding these caveats to the idea that adults who want to do something together are allowed to do something together, anything together, because they're consenting. We keep adding these caveats, and eventually, as I said, the end result is women are too fucking stupid to consent to sex ever. That's the end result. That's where this leads. So we can stop now. We can stop with the bullshit and just get all the way there immediately. Unless, unless, unless you want to comport with the radical notion that um, adult human people should just be allowed to do whatever the fuck they want with one another's genitals. How about that? Is that okay with you? Christ. Moving on. The Foundation for Economic uh, Education, they also have a piece here about using cops as revenue collectors. I'm going to drop that in the show notes because I'd rather get to this story here. From Reason, published on the 11th, Colorado cop says he didn't mean kill them all, literally. (laughs) A Colorado police officer who has been on the force for 20 years was suspended after posting kill them all in a June Facebook livestream showing protesters blocking an Interstate 25 exit in Colorado Springs. On June 30th, a group of 20 protesters used the interstate to march downtown as part of the nationwide anti-police brutality protests happening in the wake of George Floyd's death. Colorado Springs Police Sergeant Keith Reed posted, quote, kill them all and kill them all in a live stream on the protest while logged into his now-deleted Facebook account. Reed was interviewed by the CSPD's Internal Affairs Division about the comments on July 15th. According to a transcript from the exchange, Reed said he posted the comments via a personal Facebook account he created under the name Stephen Eric. When Reed told investigators, uh, what, I'm sorry, which Reed told investigators was a mixture of his late brother's first name and his own middle name, Quote, my only understanding was that they were blocking I-25, he told investigators when asked about the nature of the protest. Reed also said the protesters were part of the Black Lives Matter movement and that he, quote, understood that they were trying to accomplish in the street that day, which he says included issues such as the murder of George Floyd police reform, killing cops, trying to kill cops. Fuck. Reed also created a post on his account that night likening Black Lives Matter movement to a terrorist organization, quote, calling for violence, outwardly calling for violence, outwardly making it okay to kill, to kill the police is, to me, a terrorist act, Reed told investigators. Reed said his comments were not actually to a call to kill protesters. Rather, Reed said he was, quote, going crazy listening to Metallica's Kill Em All album leading up to the fuck you. (laughs) You fucking idiot. Reed added that he understood that someone could be inspired to commit violence based on his comments, but also understood that his comments could damage already sensitive relations between the police and the community. He said the comments were a, quote, momentary lapse of judgment and were a result of his own anxiety being released in, quote, a very unprofessional manner. You wanted to throw Metallica under the bus, you dumb shit. Also, Metallica's best album, Kill Em All. If you disagree with that, I'm sorry, you're wrong. You're allowed to be wrong, but Kill Em All's Metallica's best album. God. I just, I, I don't even, I, I can't even, I'm, no, fuck you. You don't get to just say, oh, I was, I was talking about Metallica. <laughs> no, you dumb shit. 
In a Monday letter to the community, CSPD Chief Vince Niski said that Reed was suspended for 40 hours, removed from a specialized unit, and will be reassigned. Jesus Christ. Still a cop, though. Still gets to be a cop. From Heavy. Heavy Heavy.com. I like Heavy. Um, I've said this before. Heavy, I like their uh, their coverage of things a lot of the time. It tends to be pretty uh, pretty well-balanced stuff. Good good takes. Ryan Whitaker, Arizona man shot and killed by police after a noise complaint. Ryan Whitaker was an Arizona man who was shot and killed by Phoenix police after a neighbor called in on a noise complaint. Body cam footage showed that he appeared to be kneeling to put down his gun before he was shot multiple times. Now his family is looking for answers. Whitaker was shot within seconds of opening the door. Uh, was shot, he was shot and killed on Monday. I'm sorry, on May the 21st. He was holding his 9mm handgun in his right hand when he answered the late night knock on his door because he had heard a similar late night knock earlier that week, the outlet reported. You can see both edited body cam videos below, shared by the Phoenix police after an introduction by the police. Uh, Officer Jeff Cook shot Whitaker in the back at least twice within seconds of Whitaker opening the door. Uh, Officer John Ferragamo was with him but did not shoot. The officers were standing on either side of the door and couldn't be seen through the peephole, although they did announce themselves when they knocked. Uh, da 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 da. Whitaker's brother Stephen Whitaker said his brother couldn't hear the officers announce who they were because of loud music. The video does not show the officers rendering aid after Whitaker was shot. You can see one officer with his gun on Whitaker as he lies on the ground, while another officer talks to Whitaker's friend, telling her that she can't go to Whitaker to see if he's okay. Police took 55 days to release the body cam footage. Whitaker had his gun in his hand when he opened his door, and a bright light was immediately shined in his eyes. One officer yelled, hands, and the video body cam video shows Whitaker getting on his knees on the ground right before he is shot. Family lawyer Matthew Cunningham told AZ Central that Whitaker could be seen starting to put his gun down right before he was shot. When Knees asked why he was shot, Cook said he pulled his gun on us, ma'am. Whitaker never fired his weapon. The police, uh, the Phoenix Police Department said Cook fired his weapon because he believed his life was in danger. The video shows Whitaker quickly complying with commands. The official press release from the Phoenix Police on May 22nd was that Whitaker was, quote, moving toward one of the officers armed with a gun. <sighs> Jesus Christ. There's a petition to try and get the officers arrested, uh, but it's not going to happen. I seriously doubt it. it's going to happen. So this dude gets a knock on his door. <clears throat> this is late at night. He gets a knock on his door. He's got music on loud, so either he doesn't hear the announcement or doesn't believe it. In either of these cases, it's reasonable. Late night, knock on your door. Someone says they're the cops. Do you believe them? I don't. So he goes to answer the door with his gun. If you're concerned about your safety, maybe you know that there are people who like to go around and, uh, and, uh, and do home invasions late at night, knocking on the door, and then just barge in. Happens sometimes. Um, but also, who the fuck cares? It's your house. Carry a gun if you want. Not my business. I don't have to try and pick it apart because it's your house. You can carry a gun if you want. It's your house. So goes to answer the door. Walking around in his house carrying his gun, as is his right. He goes to open the door, and uh, I read somewhere it was five seconds from opening the door to being shot. They tell him to show his hands, they get on the ground, he starts to put the gun down, he gets shot in the back. In the back. Twice. And these cops, I mean, nothing's going to happen to these cops. I don't think anything's going to happen to these cops. And you're not going to hear about it on the news because the guy was white. I mean, like, I hate pointing that out, but the news isn't going to cover this because there's no ratings to be had. This isn't going to be talked about because the guy's white. And, and, and it's not, I'm not saying necessarily, like, I don't blame black people for that, frankly. Like, I don't, I don't blame the black community for, only, for being the only race that gets covered when there's a police shooting. It's a media thing. It's a media's problem. 
it's not going to be covered for that reason. <sighs> so there's another dead guy. Another dead guy, more cops, killing people with impunity. Because they get to do that. Oh, goodness, 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 goodness. Don't call the cops on people. There's a GoFundMe for his family. It's linked in the heavy article. That is going to be in the show notes. I think that's it. I think that's all. I'm sorry, it was a very news rundown kind of show. I didn't really jump in with much because, frankly, I wanted to get through these stories. Next week should be slightly different. I'm glad Jake asked that question. I'm going to be doing a little bit of research and putting together a Title IX episode. I think that would be fun to do and educational. Um, Not just for the listeners, you guys, but also for me. Um, there's there's a couple of things about Title IX I'm not entirely clear on. So it would be uh, be good to put that together. Um. Thanks, Jake, for asking those questions. This is why I have the chat, and this is why I'd like you to join it. Uh, thank you to those of you who hung out in the chat. I'd like to see you guys back in the chat next week, man, bringing up great, great, great questions like that. Here, I was going to drop something for you earlier, but uh, there we go. I'll drop this guy right here. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I want to thank everybody who hung out in the chat and kept me on my toes during this recording. You can do that every week, A-I-R-A-D dot I-O slash live. I want to thank everybody who listens to the show, everybody who downloads the show, everybody who rates us and gives us a review on whatever platform you listen on. I want to thank the producers, all you glorious and magnanimous people who support this show you can do that on AIRAD.io or on the Rogue File, roguefile.com slash donate. Uh, you can find the things that I write on the Rogue File, roguefile.com. Remember, you can find me on Twitter at Dean O Files. You can find the network on Twitter at AltNet Radio. Go ahead and give us a follow there. I love every single one of you glorious freaks, and I will be back with you next week. Y'all have a great week. This has been an Alternative Internet Radio production. For more great shows like this, visit AIR at AIRAD.io. That's AIRAD.io.